If you're an executive, entrepreneur, seasoned investor, or just a student of the game, you'll love The Great Fail, Adweek's Entrepreneurship Podcast of the Year, a show that artfully uncovers some of the biggest fails in business history and how it might have been prevented. The Great Fail is entertaining, informative, and told through a true crime narrative in under 30 minutes that keeps you at the edge of your seats. So check out The Great Fail wherever you get your podcast. Okay, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us on On The Mic. I wanted to take a moment to introduce each one of you to our listeners. So Kaylee, why don't we start with you? I'm Kaylee Stover. I'm an account strategist here at I've been doing this for about eight years now. Hi, my name is Meredith Gale, and I am a senior account strategist here at AdResults. I've been working at the company for about two years, and I've been in the advertising industry for about 15 years. Hi, my name is Elizabeth Lynch, and I am an account director here at AdResults. I have been in the media industry since 2006. Wow, I guess that makes me the uh, the longest tenured rep here. I'm uh, Larry Goldberg. I'm with uh, Cadence 13, a division of Odyssey. I've been selling either radio and or audio and now podcasting since 1998. To kind of launch us into this negotiations chat, I want to talk about some of the best practices to finding wins for both parties from both sides. Um, I would say a starting point is always just to reach out to the rep and see what their rate is for whatever show you're interested in picking up for your client and kind of go from there. It's always good to have some initial rate as a starting point to then kind of discuss the negotiations. I take it that the three of you may have very similar answers to each other, whereas I might be the oddball here because of my side of the table versus your side. So I'll try and counterbalance what you guys say. My, my whole key in what I've learned in my 20 plus years of negotiating is, is sort of over-communicating, right? We always just want to really have a, a breath of fresh air and know exactly what each other's goals are. I've learned that the more you hide, the more you don't learn. So the more you give, the more you get in that sense. And that could also go with whether you're negotiating with your car auto body parts for, for new tires or if you're negotiating a media body. My, my number one goal is to always just over-communicate and kind of lay all my cards on the table in that sense. I like to consider what is at stake for both sides or what is important to both sides and leverage that whenever I'm negotiating. So for instance, Larry, you want to make more money, right? I want the client to be successful. So I want a lower rate to ensure we step out on a, on a good foot and I can promise you more business, right? And so that would be a reason for you to help me out. And then I would help you out in return. So just seeing what's important to both parties and what would, would be successful for both parties. Beautiful answer, Elizabeth. What I would counter to that is I will make more money if your client's happy. So it's my job to make sure that you and your client are happy and maybe not tomorrow, maybe not in May, but over the course of the rest of 2021, Larry will make more money if your client's happy. And that's kind of like the other part of what I go into negotiation is sort of put yourself in the other person's shoes. And that's kind of goes back to what you're saying of, you know, what everybody kind of wants in the end is you really have to see it from both sides. And I think to hit on your point, Larry, about over communicating, I always like to include that it is a test for either like a brand new client or a client that's new to that show. So what can we do right off the bat to ensure that the test is going to do well so we can then book it out? No, that's helpful. It's helpful to know as much information as you guys can give to me or to anybody that you're, uh, you know, that you're buying from. Um, as much information as we have in the beginning part of the negotiation, it's beneficial at the end. Yeah, I think that's like a key thing is like going in with everybody 
giving everybody as much information as possible so we can all come to an agreement on, okay, what is the, what's going to be the best rate for this test, um, especially if it's a new client or if it's in renewal, like what rate can we renew at um, if the show has grown to ensure that one, that the client can continue to be successful at the new rate um, or keeping the rate flat to continue to see that success along the lines with the renewal. I think also it's a little different when you're working with such clients like yourselves where while I agree that um, performance always matters, I think when, with a direct response agency or a direct results agency like yourselves, um, it's a little bit more imperative than maybe if you're working on a brand client like Coca-Cola or Delta, and they're really just looking for tonnage of impressions or branding spots versus results. Um, so knowing what you're saying, Meredith, about you know the client's goals up front, that it's a test, it's a new client to your agency, certainly very helpful. Whereas if we just give you tons of impressions and you don't get any results, it's kind of useless. So what's some of the craziest things you've ever asked a partner for? I've never really asked of much because I'm on the sell side. You know, I like to remind myself that it's still media, you know, whether it's podcasting or radio or, or impressions or, or commercials, it's just how creative can we get? I did have a client one time ask me, I was working with British Airways and they were coming out with a new flatbed seat for air flights from San Francisco to London. And I was selling the San Francisco 49ers uh, football on the radio. And they were wondering if we could do some sort of display where the actual beds and the chairs could be displayed outside of Candlestick Park at the time. You know, my whole response to that was kind of like, this is not a TV broadcast, this is radio. <laughs> and um, we're not generating that many foot traffic. You know, you'll, you'll get the 75,000 people that are at the football game, but not the, not the best usage of anybody's creative mind. I would say we've asked before for a trip, but in the sense of it being part of a enter to win contest so that the, you know, the network would provide that. I've been a part of agency negotiations where trips were demanded, Super Bowl trips, Cancun trips, stuff like that, vacations in New York specifically. I've seen $500 gift cards given away like that back in the day for birthdays and or certain buys. I've seen someone ask for a Louis Vuitton handbag <laughs> without without naming names. I've seen that happen at some of the bigger agencies with some of the older buyers that you know were sort of well into what they knew what they wanted. Just one handbag? Just the one? That's where the story goes. It was, it was a, a Louis Vuitton for a New York buyer out of a major New York agency, and it was pretty well documented here. So you're saying that we're not doing a good job over here with our negotiations. Yeah. No, I'm saying, expenses aren't, I'm saying that? expenses aren't what they used to be. <laughs> yeah. I think like the craziest thing that, you know, just in, in my, my tenure has been um, when I was doing outdoor, I had a client that was like, no, we want a contract completely redone because a vinyl blew off of a billboard. That's like the craziest thing I've seen. And then, you know, just negotiating additional bonus spots for, you know, underperformance or something like that. So I haven't seen that much crazy things over my, my, my uh, tenure. Well, that's another, if we want to go back to like best practices, I think relationships is a, mm -hmm. is a really great practice. So just keeping a great, like Larry, you're probably one of my favorite reps. So we have Thanks. a strong probably. relationship. Yep. I, there, there's a couple that are up there with you, but yes, well, <laughs> yeah, I would say you're my favorite podcast rep. How about that? You're, you're one of my favorite channel reps. So, right. so yeah, but just having a good relationship, cause you know that they're going to be honest with you and you can cut the crap, you know, yep. and just get to you know, what can we do for each other and how can we make this work? And those relationships go much better because you know you're on the same team instead of just protecting your own. And so that's why I like to go back to understanding what's important to both sides. I think you nailed it. Relationships are 
as the business gets faster and we're doing more and more every minute of the day, even from home, I think that the relationship factor is still huge and um, you still rely on those relationships. And if you've got 10 phone calls to make, you're going to call your two or three best relationships first because you know those are the easy phone calls. And then you're going to call your three worst relationships last because those are obviously the tougher phone calls or the ones that you just don't want to do. So yes, it's still a relationship game. Yeah, absolutely. I would completely agree. I think that's like the most important part of like what we do is maintaining those relationships and just making sure that like, yes, you're getting what the client wants, but also not trying to like be too over the top with your demands and just being mutual understanding of like what they want, what they need, what you need. Relationships are so important in what we do. Um, And I would say that, you know, if something, if there's something that happens, there's a big fire, I can easily pick up the phone with Larry, like, you know, and just be like, hey, we got this, we got to go now. And he'd be like, okay, because we have a good relationship and they're more likely to work quicker and and work in your favor um, when something like that does happen. You guys are our best salespeople, right? You guys are the ones talking to the clients. So I I have to rely on you and, and feed you and give you as much information usually as possible and, and, and sell you and make you believe in the facts that I believe in so that you can help get it across the goal line. So yeah, I think that's very important. So as far as like, I think most people, when they think about negotiation, they tend to, to think, okay, like I'm going to try this tactic or this strategy. Is there, is there an overall approach that works best? Like I know people are probably familiar with splitting the difference. Is that always the best way to go about it? Or if not, why? It depends on the objective, right? Mm-hmm. So not always, if, if you're within a certain budget and you need to, yes. But if, for instance, at the end of the day, sometimes the networks have a certain dollar amount that they have to hit for, for their rate. And so they don't want to go under, but they'd be willing to give extra in addition. So you can always do like the ECPM, right? Or add in the, the value of whatever bonus rate. I don't think it's the end all. Maybe, yeah. maybe if you don't have a good relationship, that's probably where you can hope it could end up at. I think like it depends on the situation. You know, there are people that we're going to be working with where we just started working with them and you don't really have a relationship built up with them. So for example, on that, I would be a little bit more formal, I guess, in a way with, with that person I don't know as well. And so I'm going to follow a little bit more of like a, you know, a little bit more of a structure of like, okay, here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what you're trying to do. Whereas somebody like Larry, for example, I can call and be like, Hey, this is what I need. What can you do? And just be a little bit more informal. But I think it just really depends on your client's objectives too. Every client I negotiate, I think differently for every client that I have. So I think it's just, it it just depends really. We have some clients who need their talents to be on interviews. We have some clients where we know the season that they're strong Mm -hmm. is. It's a dead season for most other clients. And so we can leverage that and we can ask for more than, than meet in the middle because we know that there's inventory to be sold. Again, it goes back to what the objectives are the seasonality, what the client needs. To answer your question, um, the splitting the difference approach, to me, that's more of a compromise and not a negotiation. I don't want to say the easy or lazy way out, but it's sort of like maybe if you're at a standstill, you kind of come to that kind of conclusion. But I think that every negotiation kind of is unique in its own. And while you may lean on or learn from past experiences, you know, what happens in the future is kind of going to be its own kind of negotiation. So in that sense, you know, I, I don't think that splitting the difference is really the way to go. I think that you really have to give and take. I think also it depends on the kind of marketplace we're talking about, right? If it's a heavy demand and it's a seller's market, I've got less leeway, right? But if it's a buyer's market and I've got tons of inventory, like Elizabeth was saying, then, you know, like I'm going to probably lose that leverage and 
not lose a negotiation, but give more than maybe I would have had to in Q4 or around the election or Mother's Day sales are coming around and you're looking for female inventory, so to speak. So I think it really depends on the marketplace and each one is very unique to its own. Not to stick on this too much, but I think people have this idea that splitting the difference is kind of what negotiation is about. But universally, we're saying that's really not really what this is about at all. Most times, not, 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 you know, 99 times out of a hundred, I think that the agency or the client typically gets the benefit or the better of the negotiation because you have the money. Mm. And now with this space having, I mean, what did Apple say? 2 million podcasts We're really only 156,000 are actually active with um, more than three over the last four weeks. So like there's a lot of competitors out there and the marketplace is crazy. So I'd be foolish to stand my ground, hold firm, because you got someplace else to go, right? I still have to do right for my shows and be strong about it. But at the same time, I probably have to give a little more. You know, you also have to understand that. Like if you're a newer podcast company and you think that you demand a $40 CPM and that's the value of what you are, you know, like I, I see you guys not in your heads, but like you guys have the right to walk away from that and go find another host that's re- ready to work or ready to play ball. And we do. And they come yeah. right back to us in a few months and say, how can we get your agency to work with us? Yeah. <laughs> Prove your value. Right. So, yeah. so you learn the hard way. And then now they, now they become the pushover in the negotiation until they've proven that they can you know, do right mm-hmm. by your clients. Right. Yeah. If somebody comes to me, it's a brand new show. It's a brand new, you know, someone we've never worked with before. And they're like, it's a $45 CPM. And we're going to be realistic being like, no, we need this we need this cpm because it's an untested show in the agency and if they're not going to work with us we'd be like i'm sorry well we can't give you our business right now but exactly what elizabeth said like they'll come back to us in a couple months being like what can we do what can we do and it's like well we told you what you could do at the beginning but um yeah so when i took over working with ad results was june of what year is this 21 june of 18 and at the time it was jen and christine and they told me that whatever was going on at cadence was broke like it just wasn't working between the previous two people and that we went from a preferred supplier to just a regular, you know, a regular podcast company in the lights and minds of everybody that results. So, you know, I made sure I worked extra hard to become, you know, a, a resource, be a really good partner, build relationships. But I probably, Nate, to your point, I probably lost every one of those negotiations because I had to, right. Mm. I, I kind of had to play from the, from a defeated purpose or a defeated side of the, of the game. Um, until I earned some respect and I earned a little bit of trust and then you can leverage that, so to speak, and, and, and build from those relationships. But because Arm has so many clients, I mean, you really don't need to go far to have a bunch of clients for you, Larry. So, I mean, if you can get one or two of us to working, we start talking internally because we share, you know, data and, and find out who's working, who's not, what was, what were the results? And eventually it becomes a test on several other shows. So, mm-hmm. You don't have yeah, to go no, far. I, we talk about it internally and that's not really the negotiation side of it, but you know, if something works really well, it, it gets passed around the agency. If something doesn't work really well, spreads like wildfire. And that show is almost like, it's like a, it's burned, but it's almost like an undercover cop that's burned. Like you, you just can't, so it becomes, <laughs> it, but then what do you do? Right? Like, I can't just tell that show that they're not getting end results business. You know, that's 50 clients down the drain. So we got to work a little harder. Maybe we've got to change the pricing. Maybe they got to work on their ad reads. Maybe they have to endorse more, you know, or, or do better. Or join an onboarding call so the client feels warm and fuzzy. So maybe that's not part of the negotiation during the pricing challenges or the, the CPM talk, but there's part of that negotiation of how we can do more for the business. Exactly. Like different creative special segments or 
um, contest integrating something into the show. So those yeah. are also negotiation tools for that. Yeah. And I think sometimes there is like a time where you do have to compromise with each other. Like if you, especially if it's like a show that is high in high demand is highly sold out and you know, you're like, okay, well it's a $40 CPM and that's all I can do. And there does come a point where you do have to compromise in a way like not always, but you know, sometimes you're like, well, I really want to test the show. It's working at the CPM for others. And just, you know, as the buyer here, like, we just have to just make a decision like do we want to test a show enough that we want to test it right now when demand is really high um so compromise does come into it in, in a way um but i would say more often than not it's not always a compromise yeah there's more that you can do as instead of just negotiating the rate like if this is what the rate is and i really want to be on this show okay i'll do it but what else can you do for me right. to kind of help me sway the client to show them that this really is a good idea, exactly. it's a good deal. We're all working together, you know, to to do, to have the best outcome for the client, um, while also, you know, giving the the network, the show, the rep what they need. Right. Yeah. Definitely. See, I look at it more holistically, right? Like, I as much as I said before, I want the client to have performance and be, deliver results, right? I want you to have a great experience too, because of what we said before with relationships. So it's got to be like. You don't want to strong arm anybody into buying something they really don't want to buy. It's never going to work that way. It just has no chance off the ground floor. So whether it's giving you another show at a discount to help offset the cost of the one show, or maybe it's, like I said, having the host join an onboarding call so the client can talk to the host and get, really get them a feel where, you know, most of our hosts don't join onboarding calls. Or maybe it's, you know, getting you a Louis Vuitton bag or whatever it may be, you know, whatever <laughs> we have to figure out. But I think the whole experience of negotiating, if it doesn't feel warm and fuzzy at the end of the negotiation, then neither of us really had one. I was going to say, you know, y'all have touched on this as well, the volatility and the market being so huge and it's growing all the time. And even beyond like volatility, there's some just inherent seasonality um, to the experience. And with all that kind of in the background, I'm curious if you're going into a negotiation, how do you prepare? Like, can you even be prepared for all the possible scenarios? And how do you try to prepare as best as you can? My husband has taught me to go into room and know all the exits before, you know, before anything goes down, just in case something goes down. So I kind of see that as a similar, um, you know, exercise. So I mm -hmm. like to go into um, negotiations, kind of considering what might happen. Again, if you know the relationship, you kind of can plan how to go. I've worked with some of the planners and strategists like, okay, you're, you're negotiating with this person. We know he's going to do this. So let's plan for X, Y, and Z. Does your husband work in law enforcement? No, but his family is very much military and law enforcement. So yes, he, he asked me, he will ask me like, how do we get back home? I'm like, I don't know. You're driving. <laughs> you all, you all, the rest of us are sitting here like exit strategy. No, I don't think so. Like... <laughs> Well, exit strategy is in like, how can it end, right? So we know it might end up at the compromise, right? If, if it's a, a rep that doesn't really give a lot in the relationship and we know what their bottom line is or what their agenda is, but it very well could be something like me come to you, Larry, and this show, you know, hasn't performed and we have another spot still that we have to work with, but I really need help, you know, to get it off the ground. I mean, you, I think would, would do your best to bend over backwards or get creative. Like you mentioned, give us a discount on another show. That's like, I love that. And so I know yep. whenever I'm approaching you, how, 
that I can get different um, responses or that I'm going to be okay. Sometimes I, I'm not, all right, not okay, but I just know that there's going to be different outcomes likely that could happen that I'm not prepared for. Learning from past experiences, when I was at iHeart years ago, we did this negotiation training in Baltimore, Maryland, and it was probably like 40 people. And the, 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 my biggest takeaway was, is always having a coach in the negotiation. And that coach could be somebody either on your team, somebody not in the game at all, somebody at the, at the client level that you maybe is your inside source and, and you try and learn or build from that coach. And usually what I like to do is in this case, most of the time, my coach is usually Murph or somebody in my team. And we role play a little bit. And we just discuss like, if, if we go this direction, where might, you know, the client think to, to go. And then, not that we're playing checkers and versus chess, but like you want to think a step or two ahead and be prepared, which is the second thing I was going to say. And I learned this in 99 from my president at ABC. He taught us the rule of the six P's which is proper preparation prevents piss poor performance. And, um, you know, the, the six P's just enables you in everything. And again, this doesn't really go towards maybe media. It goes towards, I use it in all walks of life. And I teach my kids that maybe without the piss poor, um, but just prepare, right? Be prepared. Whether you're practicing soccer and you have a game the next day, you practice like you want to play, right? When you're preparing for whether it's a work negotiation or not, you kind of go through all the steps in your head and you just want to be prepared for everything. I agree. Being prepared is really the best way to kind of get what you need and get what you want, but but make it work. Like I think for us at Ad Results, we're very lucky that we have such an extensive list of clients that are pretty much on most of the shows. So we have a database that we can access and see what every client is paying. So you kind of can go in your negotiations with that in the back of your mind. But then also just being open, open to suggestions. Like there are definitely going to be times where I haven't thought of everything and the rep knows more than I do about the show, about the host, about what they're able to do. And so just to be open to their suggestions. Yeah. And especially with the, like when it's a new show, for example, where you can't be prepared too, but it, you know, the content makes sense. It's like, again, back to relationships and that trust, um, you know, getting all the facts from who you're working with relying on them too, um, to, you know, help you guide your recommendation on like, what's this new show about? Larry, I love that you said that you role play because in our pod, we've been talking about that more and more role playing, not with necessarily negotiations, but also preparing for client calls and anticipating their questions. And I think that's the same thing in reverse with negotiation. And I think when I was like 25, I would joke or laugh, like, like we're not going to sit in a room and role play. But like whether I'm having a big call or someone in my company's having a big call and we just want to, you just want to talk it out, right? You want to, you don't want to be surprised or taken back by any of those questions or conversations. And that can always lead you in the right direction. Whereas you'll know at what point, if I say Meredith, Kaylee, Elizabeth, like if I can do this, can you do that? And like, you may not have ever gotten there if you weren't prepared for that. And that's really the key to any negotiation is the ability from my side is the ability, the ability to close it. And if I can do X, Y, and Z, then hopefully you guys can send me the order or we can come to an agreement. So it sounds like there's a lot of preparation that goes into these talks, but there's also some unpredictability that comes along with it as well. We are no strangers to nerves here at On The Mic. How do y'all prepare to not be nervous? Do y'all feel nervous during these conversations going into them sometimes? No, I, I love no. it. Yeah. <laughs> if you're nervous, and there are probably times when maybe any one of us are, but it's not for you if you're nervous. That's that's the way I would say it. It's not that it's in your blood or we were bred to do this or something like that. But I think at the same time, like this is our job, right? Like this is what we chose to do in life. And we all have enough experience now that 
look, you don't win them all. You're not going to win them all, but you get better from every conversation and you move that relationship in one direction or the, or the other. And you learn from whatever mistakes you may make. And you, you know, hopefully you learn from whatever successes you have. I definitely think there's a difference between being like strong in what you want and being like aggressive and assertive. So I think if you just go into it with the right frame of mind, like we're all people, there's nothing to be scared of or no one to be scared of. And, you know, you approach it with a sensitivity, then there's really no reason to be nervous. I will say though, when I started out young and negotiating with radio stations and, you know, the rep couldn't go any further than what I was asking and I needed it lower. And then their, you know, GM or station regional vice president came on, you know, I would get nervous because I'm like, okay, I'm talking to someone a little bit above, you know, my stature, but, um, (laughs) but it was great. It was great experience. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I love it now. So that's how you learn. Exactly. I was going to say, like, I think when I started out, I would think I was really afraid to tarnish a relationship because I was asking for too much. Right. But you kind of learn as you go along, like how much is too much really, or, you know, just the, we're creating that relationship. You, you can ask for too much and they'll be like, no, like, you know, can't do that. But it's, again, it goes back to the relationships, again, about building those those relationships with people. And then you find some reps that are just, you know, they're a little bit more aggressive than others. And you kind of just have to reframe, like, how you talk to them or, or whatnot. I would add that it's not nerves. I would be afraid in a little sense if I lost the big deal, if I got zero or shut out. But that's mm-hmm. not nerves. That's just the hatred of losing, the fear of having to report to someone above me that I got shut out on something. So that's not really nerves. And I would say the other part of it is, is that if I was actually nervous during a negotiation, that means I wasn't prepared. Back to the question prior. Now, Kaylee, I'm curious. You mentioned that sometimes you learn what's too much to ask. Mm -hmm. Have y'all ever offended anyone by what you've asked of them? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Not necessarily here, uh, but in a previous position, um, I definitely... Um, I had somebody, it was, uh, on, on a local radio station and I asked for, uh, had a client that was doing a contest and we, um, it was a newer client. So I was trying just to get as much as possible and asking for, um, you know, things for a contest and whatnot. And for whatever reason it offended them and like completely tarnished the relationship. And I was like, I, you know, I did not realize that I was asking too much. It was somebody new. I hadn't had a relationship developed with them. Um, luckily, um, I actually had to get like a director involved because um, that's how bad it was. Um, and honestly, I didn't think I was asking for too much. I was following the advice of like my, um, you know, my colleagues that had more experience than me um, and they just took it the wrong way. And um I got my director involved and we got on a call together and just talked it through. And luckily we were able to repair that relationship. That person is now one of my really good friends even beyond now, but um, it it can happen. Um, But you just have to over communicate in that period and just, you know, fix the relationship and just, you know, be like, I was not trying to ask, you know, just talk to them and, um, you know, try and fix it that way. Um, Yes. I think, yes, I definitely have. (laughs) I think that's where it has to be more of a conversation than this is what I need. This is what I want. And this is what I expect from you. 
it's a two-way street and and if it you know is a flowing conversation then I think it's pretty hard to offend someone with your requests yeah you I, know, I, I don't think I've really offended anybody if, if on the sales side if I've offended anyone then I'll probably get kicked off the agency in, in a sense or or be, have a real bad slap on the wrist. I mean, I could recall a story when I was 25 of submitting something to one of these media queens in New York. And I had just picked up an agency and they had very little money and it was for a local ShopRite deal in DC. And I submitted a, a day part on Saturday, 6A to 7P. And I got, my boss got a call. I got a call that I was being snotty and all that. And all I said back to the woman was, I just copied the previous buy, which is the day part she had bought. And like, she thought that I was being wise ass and, and fresh and all that. Sorry. And I, you know, after I, after that happened, I realized that there are going to be irrational people that you're going to work with. And if you've got the support of management and people above you, then, you know, just be confident. Um, but I really, I, I hope to think that I don't really offend anybody. I, that would be a bad tactic to take on my side. I would say I've never offended somebody by what I've asked for. But apparently I've offended someone because when negotiating and feeling that they were very lopsided in the negotiation that I've questioned their integrity and their ethics. And so that didn't do well for them, but um, it did get the deal a little further along. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we have a good relationship now too, by the way, just to put that in. I think it's interesting too, because it, that kind of comes from all sides. So like I've had hosts of podcasts reach out to ask for like more product or multiple, multiple products, um, which I don't think is like offensive, but I'm always kind of like, are you, are you kidding? Like you're getting a free product and now you're like asking for more or demanding different things. And this is like free and we're paying to run on your show. Um, so I think it comes from like all sides. Well, I hope you told them to buy more and use the offer code. Obviously. <laughs> well, I think top performers might get a little extra product and service. So how about that for a negotiation tactic? That's fair. So maybe not so high that you've offended anyone, but is there is there such a thing as, in general, aiming too high? And I guess really maybe another way to frame this is how do you decide what to aim for in the first place? I've, I think on my side, if I've got a proposal, and I actually, I had this on Friday um, with, with actually the one agency I work with that's not ad results where it was a package for like a hundred grand for something. And someone followed up with me today and I'm like, I think we may have priced ourselves out of the game right off the bat because it's probably not worth even close to a hundred K. So I think that you can ask for too much. And like I said before about there's so much competition in the marketplace that like, if you guys field five or six different proposals and one of them is up here and the rest are all even keel, well, you may not even submit that to the client or you may not even, you may throw that one out before the negotiation even starts. So you've got to sort of know the marketplace in the sense of you don't want to outprice yourself. And from the agency side, I mean, I don't want to nickel and dime, you know, our partners. I think that whenever I go in, I try and see like, what is the average CPM, you know, or like what level of, um, notoriety is the host so I can compare the CPMs accurately. Um, I don't, again, I wouldn't want to ask for too much, but I'm always willing to ask for the right amount and a little more. 
and a little more. <laughs> and I think to Elizabeth's point earlier about knowing your reps that you're working with, you know that there are certain reps that aren't going to budge and aren't really going to meet you in the middle. So you just have to know that maybe you don't put those on the plan. If you're trying to really get an efficient price, you leave those shows off because what's the point of going back and forth when you kind of already know they're going to be set in their in their price and in their ways. Now on the flip side, I would say that I don't want to negotiate against myself either. I don't want to cut mm. the price before I send it out to a client or the agency. Um, if it's a hundred K package, for example, and I've already cut it down to 75. Well, maybe they would have bought it at 85 or hundred. Um, so you've got to really understand who you're talking with, who you're negotiating with, what the client's goals are. And that's where I think, you know, back to the earliest point of over communicating and, and kind of getting as much information at the beginning will help really help that process. Yeah. So Larry, you need to know your, your bottom and we need to know the ceiling for the client. So. Yeah. And I think that's where we find that, you know, that, that happy medium of, of if we get to, even if, 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 if the bottom's 10 and the ceiling's a hundred and 40 is actually better for you guys than, than 60 is because 60 would be better for me. But if you get 40 and 40 is a win for me, I'm good with that. Cause then your client's happy that they won the negotiation as well. Hmm. And, and, and I, I honestly think that the way this business is going, it, getting the test buy isn't the win, getting the renewal is the win. Like that's, that's when the client's happy. And that's when back to Elizabeth's first point of that's when Larry will make the most money on the renewal. A hundred percent. And that's yeah. what I was going to say. It doesn't, it does you a disservice for putting the rate up really high because then it's not going to work and we're not going to book it out. So there's no reason for you to be going so high, you know, when we want to be repeat customers. Unfortunately for the way this is going, I know sometimes there are certain shows I send out that it won't work from the, from the jump. I mean, granted, most of the times those are the ones that don't get bought because you guys know it as well. Um, but there are cases where we just know going in that, look, you're going to have hits and misses. That's the nature of this business. Yeah. I, I like what you said about to get the renewal because actually working with analytics on one of our committees to look into a the, the new test hit rate. So of new shows, how many ended up being, you know, within performance range. And I so think, uh, I think to that point, whatever data you're using, coming out of the pandemic was gonna be a tough analytical. I think most shows out of the, the pandemic, new shows, I should say, were more, more misses than hits. Yeah, and, and we can take the data and we can look and analyze that. But I think I'm gonna analyze it by network now and see how you do, Larry. But I know at the end of the day that if I keep working hard that it won't deteriorate me from at least getting those conversations. I just have to work harder to get by and get the renewal. Exactly. We love you, Larry. Well, thanks. We do. And I, I think that, again, like this whole conversation comes back to relationships. Like, Larry, you know that you could call any one of us at any time for a favor because yeah. we we all work together and we can call you for favors and it just w works both ways. But if we didn't have those strong relationships, it'd be a lot harder. No, I, uh, I, I appreciate you saying that, but I'm going to save my favors for when I really, really need them. Well, we're always willing to pitch anything if it makes sense. 
And that's where you, that's where the teamwork comes in. Like, you know, the clients and I, you are probably my very, very favorite because you do this. You will bring us a show and you will have already done a lot of the think work for us. These are the clients that they've already approved. These are the, they already use this product. It would be a great fit. Like half the battle's already won if the client's already using the product because we come to them for the story that they tell. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for doing that. That's, I wish yep. all agencies would do well, that. And that, yep, that, that's part of, part of the negotiation. And part of that is kind of understanding with the client and understanding your guys' needs, but it's providing that solution, right? It, you know, every challenge, I, I don't look at them as problems. We look at them as challenges. And if we're looking to figure out the solution, then, you know, don't be part of the problem, be part of the solution, <laughs> but, which we talk about all the time internally is anyone that's not part of the solution is part of the problem. Part of the problem. But ultimately, you know the shows. And so you would know if they would be a good fit for our clients. I mean, essentially, you kind of have two jobs, Larry, in that you know the shows, but you also have to know our clients to see if you can come with recommendations when there are new shows or not new shows, but maybe new to a client. You know, you kind of have to do the legwork double. What's been tricky for me, though, over the last, A, is not being able to travel and come see you guys because I think part of that relationship is is the entertainment and doing the in-person stuff and sitting with each of you one-on-one and going through that client list and, and just getting to know you and your families and your life and who's going to have a baby and whose kids are going to school and who's traveling to Cabo or whatever it may be. Like that, That's a huge part of it for me. And the other part is the turnover rate. Now that Ed Results keeps growing and growing and there's so many new names and faces that you know, I'm just trying to learn them all. Plus, everybody's name sounds alike. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's tons of you that with all the same names now. So, um, you know, that's, that's, you know, like you said, got to know the clients, got to know the podcast, and then got to know the, the players in the game. I know I'm enjoying this conversation so much. Um, I, but we're, as we're approaching our time, I wanted to land on one final question for you guys. If you could give a professional who might be in a similar position going into negotiation one piece of advice what would that advice be? Prepare, prepare and, and do your research. I mean, that's part of the preparation, but really just understand what the needs are. Every one of us, every one of you girls on the team and every every one of the reps you deal with is their own personality. So you have to kind of find your own niche. It may be very similar to a competitor or to someone that is your colleague, but it's still your own and you got to own that role and stay in that lane. What I would also say, though, is when you're younger, and I was at ABC, iHeart, Westwood One, and now Cadence, and I take little tidbits of all my experiences, and I, like, I've quoted three or four of them on this call, whether I mentioned them or not, and I use those in my life, I use them in my workplace, I use them as a father, um, and they're, they're from people that are older than me that were more experienced than me that I could learn from. Um, you know, the, the rule of the six P's or every conversation is going to get moved one way or the other, or just different things that you, you pick up in life and, um, you know, take that into your work and just be yourself. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I'd like to think that there's no other salespeople out there that you guys work with that are like me, but I'd be crazy to think that that's true. Like there's people that are probably close or similar or have some, some similarities and styles, but it's not, it, be your own person, find your own. There's niche. no one like you, Larry. Let's oh. be real. <laughs> That's true. That's well, very I, true. I think it's funny that you sold the 49ers um, radio because the rep who sells, yeah. So the rep who sells it now, Daniel Airman, he's one of my other favorite reps. So must be something well, about the 49ers. <laughs> you know, my, that was my background in talk radio when I was with ABC. And then I went over to iHeart and I sold tons of music. 
And then when I went back over to Westwood and Cumulus, it was kind of that talk radio and my natural progression to podcasting was talk radio on steroids as a listener first and a, and a consumer of podcasts and then from a sales perspective. So I love talk radio. Yeah. I would say be confident in yourself and in your knowledge and, and your be confident in yourself, um, but don't get that mixed up with being aggressive and too assertive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really do think relationship matters here. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, just be prepared, be yourself. Just to sum up everything that everyone's already said, be yourself, you know, develop that relationship, be prepared as much as you can be, and it should go pretty well. Um, if you're, you know, not aggressive and whatnot, you, it should be fine. And I would also say, it's not all just work. There can be play in there too. That's how you build those relationships. Like Larry was mentioning, get to know the person you're talking to, their families, their interests, things that they like to do outside of work, because that can only help, you know, down the line. Well, as someone who doesn't have to negotiate very often, I can tell you that this topic is something that kind of scared me. Not scared me, but uh, you know, the thought of doing what you guys do every day was a more scary prospect until hearing you guys talk about it today. Um, I hope that some of our listeners agree that it sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like you guys really do enjoy working together. And I know that I learned a lot. And I thank you guys all for joining. Larry, thank you so much, especially. And um, yeah, thanks so much, guys. Yeah, thanks, Larry. I'm looking thanks, for my Lubicon. <laughs> hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.